You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers, and Gil is the host of Locked On NHL. He also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Gil, no matter how many times I do a podcast intro, Sometimes it just still doesn't really get burned into my brain, and I'll I'll queue up to to start saying some somebody else's intro. Um, you, uh, are you familiar with uh, with Dave Ramsey? He's got a big big national radio show. Yeah. So he, he starts out every episode. He says, "Broadcasting live from Financial Peace Plaza," and I almost started to say that, and I'm like, I haven't listened to his show. In years, why was that the first thing that was coming to my mind? Gil, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to be here with you. Oh, boy. Uh, amazing what's going on now. But, you know, it's exciting because the rookies are reporting today and they have their rookie camp this weekend. And stuff is happening. And I love it. And, and, and now we also know who and when the uh, game in London is going to be, which I'm happy about as well. Yeah, I had heard a couple leaks that it was going to be the Giants, and I heard one that was going to be the Rams. I was kind of expecting Giants based on everything I'd heard. Um, so my reaction when it was announced was just, ah, yeah, okay, makes sense. Um, the reaction of, I think, a lot of Packers fandom was disappointment, which you can understand because the Giants are still pretty deep into their rebuild, uh, so they're not you know, one of the, the sexy flashy teams that's like exciting to play against. Um, but one of the things that I think would be a little bit fun about playing uh, the giants over there is that, you know, their their colors, red, white, and blue, and that they're from New York. There's a lot of uh, the New York giants that, that you could make a case for them being uh, you know representative of the U S um, and I think most people would accept the Giants over um, the Cowboys. You know, if we're talking about America's team, whatever, and you know the other team to be in the mix there would be the Patriots. I, I think other people, most people, would be like, "All right, fine." If you're, if my comp, if the, if the other options are the Cowboys and the Patriots, I guess, I guess we can talk about the Giants as being, you know, a, a fun team to go overseas and and play to represent America. Anyways, it's going to be a good time. I can't make it to the UK this year, uh, unfortunately, but hopefully in in a future year, that's something I could do. I, what I really want to do is go to one of the to go to a, a Germany game with yeah. the Packers. Wow, that would be cool. Has to happen first, but yeah, that would be uh, really cool. And you know, you, you you talk you talk about the Giants not being the sexiest opponent. The good news. For Packer fans who want to get tickets to games in Green Bay is that you get those sexier opponents coming to Lambeau rather than mm, you yeah. having to travel, you know, thousands of miles to go see them. So try good to look point. at the bright side of that. It's been a while since we had a good Packers Giants game as well. The last couple have been kind of snooze fest, to be honest. 
I guess you got to go back to the playoff game. Randall Cobb with the Hail Mary on the last play of the first half. Well, that's half. what I was thinking. That was, 20, that was 2016, right? Yep. yep. That was when OBJ put his fist through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick. Before we go any further, I want to take a second and say thank you to our new sponsor. Uh, this is Athletic Greens. We were recently introduced to their new health supplement called AG1. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I don't even know what an adaptogen is, but that sounds cool. To help you start your day off right, this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and, ooh, kill this one's for you, aging. Nice. All the things. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. Or you can put it in a smoothie. That's how I like to do it. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And by the way, we like Athletic Greens a lot, and we want them to keep sponsoring our show. And they're going to do that if our audience is signing up for their services. Go check it out. Make sure you go to athleticgreens.com slash emerging. If enough of you guys do that, they're going to keep sponsoring us, which is great because it's always awesome when a company you already love starts sponsoring you. Athletic Greens is a foundational nutrition for just about everybody. 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients in just one tasty scoop. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, or like the Chicago Bears, if you're allergic to winning, that's still for you as well. Contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. Support better sleep quality and recovery, mental clarity and alertness, and just overall feel better. So again, one last time, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Okay, we're going to talk about Quay Walker here. Um, if you missed it, we did a couple bonus episodes just about the draft that was like, you know, quick reactions, uh, looking ahead, that kind of stuff. We're going to do our first deep dive into Quay Walker. I think, you know, taking him at pick 22, he's worth his own episode. We're just going to focus on Quay today. Um, depending on how this goes, you know, and, and if we feel like uh, like this one is a success, and is what we want it to be. We'll probably do another solo episode on Devontae Wyatt, maybe one on Christian Watson. Just kind of see where it goes from there. We're not promising to do a deep dive on one player at a time for all 11 picks. But Quay Walker, I think you would agree, Gil, is absolutely deserving of his own full episode, especially since this is a guy who is not on most folks' radar. So there's a lot that we can learn about Quay and kind of get to know who this guy is. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing to me that, that I love about this uh, pick, the reason it was a surprise, I mean, when was the last time the Packers emphasized the, you know, that position? So yeah. you're looking well, at a, a Hawk was the last first round linebacker to the Packers. 
what year was he drafted? Was that 2006, if I'm recalling? Six, like, and Hawk, right. Hawk was a, a drafted as an outside linebacker. He didn't move inside until 2009 when they drafted Clay Matthews. Which is a little weird because he was an inside backer at Ohio State, but whatever. But what? Yeah, but well, whatever. He played outside linebacker for three seasons, then moved inside. Yeah, uh, and then so if you want to go back to the last actual off-ball inside linebacker the Packers drafted in the first round, that's Nick Barnett. So look at it, Quay, <clears throat> and and I will fully acknowledge, and, and maybe I did on our last show. I, I can't remember. I have a really hard time scouting linebackers and I don't put a lot of time into it pre-draft because I just don't feel like a lot of the stuff that we look at in a linebacker in college and say, man, this dude is a stud. I don't think a lot of that tends to translate to the NFL as well as you'd hope. Um, Doesn't give you a real clear picture of who's going to be a success. And you only need to look at... at the highly drafted linebackers in the NFL to see that, oh gosh, NFL teams have a hard time evaluating these guys too. You take <laughs> these guys super early and then they, they bust more frequently than they don't in the NFL. Actually at inside linebacker, um, who was it? Oh, it was uh pack daddy over at Packernet podcast did a, uh, a research thing uh, two, three years ago now looking at, um, where all the best players in the NFL were drafted positionally, you know, and so you're looking at, okay, with quarterback, you kind of need to take him in the first round with uh, offensive tackle. You kind of need to take him in the first round and there's outliers here and there, but you know, if you look at, okay, who are the top 32 quarterbacks? Well, 25 of them were taken in the first round, something like that. And, and some of the positions really would surprise you and inside linebacker, almost all the really good ones were taken in the second round. And it's mm. just, it's just, that was just stuck out to me a lot of like, I don't normally uh, get too excited about the idea of a first round linebacker, just because the NFL scouts and the media seem to get distracted by really cool, flashy stuff in college that just doesn't end up translating in the pros. And then it, you know, here's my theory is that then you get the guys who are just really solid, consistent football players who are then like in your second tier. It's like, okay, uh, Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean, they're the flashy guys. You know, these are, these are your first round linebackers. You have to be stupid to, to not see their potential, you know? And then after them, you know, then you got, uh, whoever, uh, Leo Chanel, Channing Tindall, whoever, right. Um, they're, they're just really good, solid players and that's fine, but they're not, they're not the electric playmakers. Well, then those solid guys end up being the ones who perform. So for that whole reason, I'm not too down, um, in a bad way on the fact that we took a linebacker who was not one of the consensus, like top three or four linebackers. However, if you're concerned about, is this a reach? Uh, if you look over the last month, month and a half, Quay Walker was cementing himself as a, a really late riser. Uh, if you look at over the here's mock drafts um, by members of the media throughout the month of this is only April. Actually, it's only the last week in April. 
28, 21, 21, 28, 22, 28, 29, 15, 13, 28, 21, 32, 21, 9 overall, 21, 32, 21, 21, 32, 32. First round pick uh, grade from everybody on here. I don't see a single one later than 32 to the Lions. Uh, super interesting to me. Um, and obviously, okay, cause and effect. What would cause him to shoot up the board right at the tail end there? You find out that an NFL team or NFL teams are really interested in him. And kind of the consensus here over and over and over again, you got a couple of, uh, I would say probably in like second place, getting mocked to the Packers at 28 or even 22. But prior to that, uh, Patriots over and over and over and over and over again, probably a quarter, probably a third of these in the, in the final week. And there's, there's like 25 drafts here, uh, more than that, probably about 50 drafts here. Uh, at least a third of those, they haven't gone to the Patriots at pick 21. So if you're freaking out about, well, they, they reached on this guy who's like a third rounder, which is where I had him on my big board. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know what, uh, that is, that is just not how he was actually viewed by uh, a lot of teams and some of the media members who are in the know leading up to the draft. Yeah, no question. He was a, a late riser on a lot of teams' boards. And you know what? If you want to make the argument that they picked him five picks too early, seven picks too early, ten picks too early, you know, it's a very inexact science. It's partially based on scouting reports and then how teams feel that each player integrates into their system and into Mm -hmm. their lineup. So having him go at 22 is pretty much right around where a lot of the experts had him going, give or take five picks in either direction. It, It doesn't seem like that big of a reach given the analysis that we've been seeing. And, you know, it's not like, this is a guy who nobody thought would possibly go in the first round or he was a, you know, unknown quantity. Here is a guy who played for a, an elite defense in college, national which, 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 by the way, not just elite, being talked about as possibly the greatest college defense of all time. And that yeah. is not a fringe opinion. That is a mainstream opinion among college football commentators. Right. So we're not talking about, you know, literally pulling something out of left field where, oh, no, how could they what were they thinking? How could this even be a remote possibility? That's not where we're at. Right. And, you know, the the question is, was this the right position and this the right player for them to address? But it, it is not so glad you said that, you know, it, it is not a question of is this guy good enough to be selected in the last third right. of the first round. Right. That That is the perfect segue. Let's talk about what the knocks were against Quay Walker as a Packers selection. First of all, you have the crowd who is just freaking out and losing their minds over the fact that they went linebacker at pick 22 instead of wide receiver. Pretty simple. Packers did not like any of the wide receivers there more than they liked Quay Walker or Devontae Wyatt. They liked Quay Walker more than Devontae Wyatt. Gudikant said that uh, when he made the decision to take Quay Walker, he also really liked Devontae Wyatt, but he said, yeah, I'm I'm probably, you know, kissing Devontae Wyatt goodbye by not picking him at 22. He's probably not going to be here at 28. 
but I'm okay with that because of how high I am on Quay Walker. And then they were, of course, overjoyed to find that Devante was there at 28. And if you look, so at 22, they took Quay Walker. Uh, the next picks, uh, cornerback, tackle, center, defensive end, linebacker, zero wide receivers taken in between Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. All right. Mm-hmm. But of course, they missed out on more wide receivers after that. Right. Like guard Cole Strange, edge rusher George Karloftis, uh, safety Daxton Hill, safety Lewis Scene, which is where they were trying to trade up. Uh, on day one and take Christian Watson. And then, of course, uh, famous wide receiver, defensive end, Logan Hall. Oh, wait. So in between Quay Walker and Christian Watson, there were zero wide receivers taken. So if you're mad that the Packers did not take a wide receiver at 22, they didn't miss out on anybody. They missed out on zero wide receivers by waiting and getting Christian Watson where they got him. Um, and then there was a run on receivers after the Watson selection. There was, and it, there were a couple of receivers in there that the Packers did like, but they had first round value on Christian Watson. They wanted to take him at pick 32. They called the Vikings. They offered him both second round picks to move up and take him there. The Vikings said, we're not going to do that, but we will give you pick 34 tomorrow for those two second round picks. And the Packers went ahead and made that deal the following day. They took Christian Watson. So they got three guys that they really viewed as being uh, first rounders. So <clears throat> that's not a reason to be upset about the Quay Walker pick. They still got the guy that that they would have taken at wide receiver had they been going to go ahead and take a wide receiver at 22. Um, another thing to that you see people criticizing is, well, why Quay Walker instead of Devin Lloyd? or teammate Nicobe Dean. Well, let's talk about that. First of all, Nicobe Dean ended up being a third round pick. So there's 31 other teams that you should yell at about why didn't you take Nicobe Dean in the first round or the second round. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone Uh, passed on him at least twice. So yeah. Yes, at least twice, except for, you know, teams like the Bears who didn't have a uh, first round pick which I, I just love bringing up regardless of if it's relevant or not. I just, I love bringing that up. <laughs> so Devin Lloyd is the other one. Why did you take Quay Walker when Devin Lloyd was sitting right there? Gosh, I wonder if you can pick between Quay Walker and Devin Lloyd, would you take Quay Walker? If you thought that he was the better player? Well, yeah, there you, you go. The better player. That's the answer. The Packers liked Quay better than they liked Devin. So if you're, upset that they don't share your evaluation that you think Devin Lloyd is a better prospect than Quay Walker. I don't know what to tell you, man. The Packers scouted both guys and they liked Quay Walker significantly better. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, And then, you know, the other thing you could be upset about is, well, why didn't you take, because this this is kind of where I was on night one is I was not excited about the, De, uh, Quay Walker pick because I was not personally high on Devin Lloyd, but I had put out a list. All right, we're at pick 22. Here's the list of like seven players. I'd be really happy and excited to take at 22. Devonte Wyatt was on that list. We still got him at 28. So I cannot be upset that we didn't take Devonte Wyatt at 22. I still got him. Right. So this is fine with me. Um, here's the, the final knock on Quay Walker that I think is kind of relevant. If you look at his raw production, his it's it's not as impressive as some of the other guys in the list. And I think that that is going to be a 
worthwhile thing for us to talk about here in the podcast. Quay Walker had a 70.6 PFF grade. There was uh, one linebacker in my, so I, I, I had 14 linebackers ranked. So I think from here on out, unless there's another name or two you want to throw on this list, we'll just talk, talk about him in comparison to these 14 linebackers. No, no, that's fine. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so Nicobe Dean had a 90 overall grade. He's the only linebacker with a 90 out of this list. Then you had Channing Tindall, Malcolm Rodriguez, and Troy Anderson, and Jojo Doman, who were all uh, 80s or higher. I had all four of those guys ranked lower than Quay Walker on my board. And keep in mind, I was not high on Quay Walker. I had Quay Walker as my number six linebacker in this class. Admittedly, didn't spend a ton of time scouting linebackers because I usually think it's a bit of a waste of my time because I'm usually wrong. And I think everybody else usually is too, but worth noting that there were things about those other four guys who had a higher grade PFF grade than Quay that knocked them substantially down the list for me. Um, his, uh, let's see his overall where here we go. Uh, pass rushing grade was a 69 above average, but not as high as you'd like his coverage grade was, well, I don't have it right next to that coverage grade. Here it is. Um, nope, that's his tackling grade. His We'll just jump ahead to the good news. Tackling grade was a 90.6, which is yeah. the highest out of all these 14 linebackers. Where the heck is coverage? I'm doing a Control-F <laughs> search for coverage. Oh, I skipped over it. It was right next to the pass rushing grade. Okay, good. It was, good. It was on the left instead of the right. 70.6 in coverage, and then 70... Uh, 69.8 in pass rushes overall defensive grade was 72.1, <clears throat> which is uh middle of the pack compared to all the guys on this board. Um, Devin Lloyd really is the guy you're going to compare him to the most. I think Nicobe Dean and Devin Lloyd make the most sense to compare him because those are the two, you know, Devin Lloyd was the only other first round linebacker and he was, by the way, let me just segue for a second, and you can respond to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> a, there are some folks out there, both in the national media and in the Packers media. And by the way, the national media, I think, is praising the Packers draft class substantially higher than the local media. But but that's neither here nor there. Uh, there are folks out there who are trashing selecting a linebacker at pick 22 and saying, you know, why would you take a first round linebacker? Despite the fact that people have been asking the Packers to do that for a long time. Right. But then they love the Devin Lloyd pick. Come on. It's the same position in the first round. You don't have a problem with the position. You have a problem with the player. You just right. don't like Quay Walker, the prospect. You don't like, don't, don't bury the lead and pretend that you're upset that it's a linebacker, but then also turn around and say, well, you, you could have had Devin Lloyd instead. Um, Where was I going with this? It, do you want to respond to that? I, I offered it and then. Well, yeah, no, I mean, look, you, you look at Quay Walker and you talk about the productivity and the numbers he did or didn't put up in college. And I have two words to respond to that. Okay. Rashawn Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually, I've made a lot of Christian Watson, Rashawn Gary comparisons, but Quay Walker is also an excellent comp to Rashawn Gary. You talk about. Um, here are some of the traits with Rashawn Gary that you really love freak alien athleticism. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Quay Walker for you. In fact, 
This is the knock against Nicobe Dean, his his much more productive teammate, the bigger name. Nicobe Dean is the only. Let me see here. Is he the? He's the only linebacker projected earlier than pick 270 not to have an RAS. Everybody else, we have their RAS, good or bad. We don't have Nicobe Dean. So we don't know. But if you look at, so uh, what's his name? Kentley Platt is the guy who invented RAS. After Nicobe Dean was drafted at pick 83 overall in round three, he said, Nicobe Dean does not qualify for an RAS due to a lack of measurements, but he did put up the numbers that they do have on Nicobe Dean, which is only his height and weight. Well, remember, an RAS is calculated uh, off of uh, at least six metrics, and then each one is uh, uh, ranked zero out of ten. All right. Ten is is perfect in each of these categories. Zero, obviously, is not. <laughs> height, he's 0.99. That doesn't mean he's almost tall enough. It means he is way too short. Mm-hmm. Um, just compared to these other linebackers. Uh, let me see here. Nicobe Dean, five foot eleven. Uh, let's see, Malcolm Rodriguez is also at five eleven. And then I got to go all the way down to Zacoby McLean um, from Auburn, who had a four point four RAS. At five foot eleven, let me go back to Malcolm Rodriguez. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez is is really fast and really heavy, so um, it kind of makes up for the shorter uh, height, right? And then way down in the four hundreds, you got Darian Butler at five ten. Everybody else is at least six foot. Many are six two, six three, and then Quay Walker is six foot four. Quay Walker is also the heaviest out of any of these linebackers, except for. Montana State's Troy Anderson, uh, and then uh, Quay Walker is 241 pounds. Despite being that tall and that heavy, he's one of the fastest guys here. He actually ties for the third highest, sorry, the fourth highest RAS out of um, out of my 14 guys. So you got Leo Chenault of Wisconsin at 10 RAS. Uh, Devin Lloyd and Quay Walker are both tied at six. Channing Tyndall is 9.7. Uh, did I say Quay Walker is 9.6? That's what I meant. Nicobe Dean, um, for his, his height metric was 0.99 out of 10, and his weight was 3.23 out of 10. Mm-hmm. His composite size grade is very poor. Now, we don't know what his 40 was, his vertical, broad, bench. All We don't know all these things. We don't know his splits because he didn't do any of them. Um but he went in the third round. Nobody else in the NFL was that high on him either. So you're comparing him now to Devin Lloyd. And remember, we just said Devin Lloyd was tied with him uh, in RAS. So uh, what are some other things that you could compare Devin Lloyd and Quay Walker in? Well, Devin Lloyd is two years older than Quay Walker. Quay is only 21. Um, Quay is taller. He's, uh, he's, he's one inch taller and four pounds heavier. Um, but he played at a much bigger school. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're talking Utah versus Georgia. That is a huge, huge deal. Um, <clears throat> and and by the way, you know, I keep hearing people talk about well, he, there was lack of production at Georgia. Um, individually, I suppose. But then, again, this is 
being touted as the greatest college football defense of all time. They won the national championship. What more do you want out of him? More sacks? Some well, interceptions? The, the question becomes, and this is something that scouts get paid the big bucks to answer. Right. Georgia was, as you said, one of the all-time great defenses in college football history. Yeah. So the question is, did Quay Walker, what was his role in that? Did he right. look better on tape because of the fact that there was so much talent around him? Or was he one of the guys who allowed the talent around him to shine? It's a good question. And the, the reason that I brought up Rashawn Gary uh, earlier, you look back at uh, Rashawn Gary in college, what was his role? One of the things that Gary had to do, you know, you looked at him statistically and you said, well, he didn't have a lot of sacks in college. He didn't have a lot of tackles for loss. Why is this guy going so high? Well, part of his role at Michigan was to occupy blockers in that system and free up other guys to make plays. Whether that was the best use of him or not, that's a whole different issue, but that's what he did in college. So then you have to ask, where does Quay Walker fit into the Georgia defense? Did he make the players around him better or did they make him look better? It's probably a combination of both. But the similarity in my mind between Gary and Walker is you have guys with great athletic talent mm -hmm. who may not have been as productive in college. And the question is, do you envision him in the Packers defensive system as someone you can coach, develop, and have him use that elite athleticism to be a great fit in the Green Bay defense? Obviously, with Rashawn Gary, the answer appears to be yes, that worked out. It took a couple of years, but it worked out. Now we have a similar question with Quay Walker. And just, just take it a step further, it appears and now that we've been through five drafts with Brian Gutekunst, that's part of Goody's MO. This yeah. is what he looks for. This is what he likes. So in that respect, the choice of an athletic guy who didn't put up lights up stats in college in a very talented defense shouldn't be a surprise to people who are really looking at how Brian Gutekunst and the Packer scouts approach the draft. You look at just about any of Quay Walker's uh, draft profiles, he's frequently uh, compared to his NFL comp, Devondre Campbell. Campbell was arguably the best linebacker in football last year, certainly one of the best tackling linebackers in football. And if you start looking at tackling grades and stats, all of a sudden, you're no longer in a situation where, like many categories, Quay Walker is, you know, at best like four or five or six on, on a lot of these stats. You start looking at tackling stats, and he is number one, number one, number one. Uh, let me see here. Uh, tackling grade. Come on. I just I just had it and then I scrolled. Let's 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 look first at uh, missed tackle percentage. Quay Walker had the lowest missed tackles, 4.3% of the time he would miss a tackle. At the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm going to skip some of these smaller names. Let's see, Nicobe Dean, his teammate, was 10th uh, out of 14 guys. Devin Lloyd was 8th out of 14 guys. Quay Walker uh, also had the highest uh, tackling grade at 906 
Who are the next uh, couple guys up there after him? Channing Tindall, Chad Muma, Leo Chanel. None of those guys are being talked about as uh, first-round picks. Right. Nicobe Dean was seventh. Devin Lloyd was eighth. Not terrible, but not great either. They were both in the 70s with their tackling grade. Look, I challenge you to find me a good NFL defense that wasn't a good tackling defense. This is so important, wrapping up, wrapping guys up. And you and I talked about that a lot mm-hmm. last year. Um some other stats where he grades highly in uh, he had the most hurries out of any linebacker, which is impressive given how many studs there were on that Georgia defense that that um, enough hurries of, of all the hurries that they had would go to just Quay Walker <laughs> with all the competition for his own team. Uh, let's see. He only had two sacks, which isn't terrible, but he had a couple guys. Uh, let's see. Leo Chanel had 10, Channing Tindall had nine. Everybody else had in the area of uh, zero to two. So uh, Quay wasn't terrible there. And it wasn't his role. That wasn't what they asked him to do. Can he do it? That's a different question. Uh, But it wasn't. Look, A.J. Dillon in college wasn't asked to catch a lot of passes. We found out after a year he's very capable of catching passes and and being more than just an outlet receiver. So again, whether somebody is asked to do it a lot in college or is capable of doing it, two different things. Also looking at some uh, notable outlying numbers for Quay in terms of uh, his alignment counts. He had 90 slots, 90 snaps in the slot. Uh, 562 off ball, which is about average with the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the slot was a little bit higher. Actually, that would be the second highest overall if it weren't for JoJo Doman, who had the, the four, JoJo Doman. <laughs> 428 snaps in the slot. If you take him out of there, the only guy who had more than Quay Walker's 90 was he had 97 going to Troy Anderson out of Montana State. Right. Uh, so the guy can move around a bit. The, the, the other question is, can he line up outside? Um, I've seen a couple people talking about this, by the way, he had 465 snaps in the box. Let's talk about this before we talk about the outside thing. This is, this is more interesting. Packers did not address third safety in this draft. Mm-mm. And I think that is Okay. And actually, the safety they did take in the seventh round, Tariq Carpenter, Matt LaFleur said they're going to move him to the outside linebacker, uh, inside, linebacker. inside linebacker room. So yeah. that'll be that'll be interesting as well. So let's talk about this. Did we, Gil, did we already talk about this on on our uh, our bonus episode? Uh, I don't think we addressed it in depth. And, and I do have an article up for Cheesehead TV uh, Thursday, uh, which is when we're recording this, discussing this very subject. All right. I've done a lot of talking. You go ahead and and say your piece first. Well, look, they didn't address the safety position, and I'm not saying they had to uh, right away. But here's the deal. We're set at starter. You know you have Darnell Savage, who's under contract now. They exercise the fifth-year option. He'll be back in 2023. We have Adrian Amos, quality starter, consistent player, leader. He's still under contract for this year. The thing they still have to address, in my mind, they're not going to play a third safety as often. 
especially when you draft Walker and, and you have Devondre Campbell and, you know, they're talking about moving sort of that tweener carpenter who they drafted late into the inside linebacker spot. So all indications are they're going to play with two inside linebackers on the field more at all times. Yeah. More often than they have in the past. Right. The issue to me, and it's a big issue is if either Adrian Amos or Darnell Savage get hurt and have to miss time, there is nobody on the present roster who I would feel comfortable with starting at safety for an extended period of time. If that happens, they are in trouble because of a lack of depth. Now, June 1st is coming up, uh, you know, in four weeks, give or take. Signing sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the safety equivalent of a Rick Wagner, uh, you know, or, or a Dennis or Kelly. Rasul, Rasul Douglas. A, a Rasul Douglas, a, yeah. a veteran who can give you a year or two and step in. And, and, you know, that to me is a need now. That shoots up to maybe the top of the team's needs for short term. But right now they're set at starter, but the depth, I mean. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree with you there on the depth issue. And, and I think – in a pinch, you would probably be looking at moving one of your corners to the safety position, maybe, you know, bump treat Carpenter back over to safety. Um, but you could also start playing some single high safety looks that that's an option. Um, you laid a great fr- fr- uh, foundation here for the the issue of the starters. One of the big things last year, which with why they needed three safeties so much of the time is that they didn't have any more linebacker options behind Devondre Campbell that they really felt were able to do what they wanted. And right. you remember who uh, who they brought in October 4th was um, Smith, Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith. They were, the they were really hoping that he was going to be able to be another Devondre Campbell didn't and, and let them let them play with two linebackers out there. It didn't work, and they had to lean on more safety help out there. Who is your third safety on the field? It's Quay Walker. It's a linebacker. You're going to have, and and Chris Barnes is still going to have a role in this defense for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think that the answer is you're going to have fewer safeties on the field and more linebackers. And that's what Joe Barry wants. They didn't use three safeties last year because he wanted to do that. He did that because he was limited by the personnel he had available. And I can tell you, for certain, based on the fact that they took Quay Walker at 22 and all the moves they tried to make last year, bringing in Jalen Smith, uh, shuffling safeties around, um, putting uh, putting all their different linebackers out there a lot of the time who had no business being on the field. I can tell you for certain, Joe Barry, when talking to Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, what do you need the most to make your defense the best in the league? Do you need another um, pass rusher. What do you need? A linebacker. I need another linebacker. Mm-hmm. Joe Barry, linebackers coach, very linebacker uh, dependent defense, which is hilarious. After all the years that we had of Mike Patton and, and us talking about how linebacker just didn't really matter very much to the Packers. Look, Brian Gutekunst does not take linebackers early, but his defensive coordinator said, get 
me a linebacker. First of all, don't let Devondre Campbell out of this building. Right. Second, get me another Devondre Campbell. I don't want two complimentary linebackers. I want two Devondre Campbells. And then third, um, you have to get you have to get a good one of these top guys that that is the best fit for me. That's Quay Walker. Don't let him. You know, don't don't just hope he's going to be there at 28 or in the second round. He is the number one priority for me to make my defense hum the way it needs to. And then, you know, just just on the uh, on the topic of, you know, the fact that they took him at 22. The fact that Brian Gutekunst, who does not really care about linebackers very much, doesn't value them very much, takes, you know, swings at them in undrafted free agency and the fifth round. The fact that he took Quay Walker over all the other players who were available, including the guy that the two guys that he had uh, first round grades on that he ended up taking right after Quay, that he took him first. That should excite you a lot about how good they think Quay Walker is and can be. And then also you look back over the last couple of years, what have we as, as podcasters and fans been begging the Packers for more than anything else when it comes to the defensive side of the ball We've been asking for linebacker help, and we've been asking for help for Kenny Clark. How many times mm-hmm. have I said on this podcast since the season ended, when we've been talking about draft needs, how many times have I whined about, oh, I just wish they would add you know, a, a nice big fat guy in the middle next to Kenny Clark. They're never going to do it because um, because they always go into the season with the bare, number, bare minimum number of uh, defensive tackles, and I just don't understand it. We got him. First round linebacker, first round defensive tackle. Two positions everybody says the Packers would never take in the first round. They did both. Yep. This defense is about to be scary. Yeah, it has the potential to be. And, you know, I think it says something. And I I like what it says when a team turns around and addresses positions that they have neglected or or at least not prioritized. I don't know if neglected is, you Mm -hmm. know, too strong a word. Inside linebacker, interior defensive line, they've tried to get by for years on the cheap. And to finally say, you know what? It got us to a certain point, but I don't think it can get us any further. We're going to make the change and, and, and address these two positions going forward. That is showing that they're learning. They're not just locked into one philosophy and they're willing to go along with what Joe Barry's vision for this defense is. And here's the other thing, and and I know I've seen some writers touch on it as well. Maybe with less talent at wide receiver after Devontae's departure and MVS's departure, and when you have two great running backs in A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, you have a defense that, basically went into a playoff game and held their opponent without an offensive touchdown. Right. Uh, Maybe this team becomes less of a, if Aaron Rodgers kicks, butt, we win. If Aaron Rodgers struggles, we don't. And relies more on running the ball and defense to win football games. Not that Aaron Rodgers can't, but he doesn't have to do it exclusively anymore. And I think that's a big step forward. And and to take it even a step further, you go back to John Elway. John Elway, when he was at his best as a Hall of Fame quarterback, how many Super Bowls did he win? 
Zero. I, I don't like to I don't like to think about John Elway and Super Bowls. That, no, I I, I understand bad, why. Bad I don't either. But <laughs> he didn't win any Super Bowls when he was at his best. Yeah. He won Super Bowls when the running game became the focal point of the offense. You look at Peyton Manning, his second Super Bowl win. He was not That's the exactly focal point yeah. of that offense. He was still a darn good quarterback, but he wasn't you know, the best quarterback in the league anymore, but his experience and his ability was still good enough that when you needed him to step up, he could do it, but he didn't have to carry the team anymore. The Packers have been trying to win with Aaron Rodgers carrying the team for more than a decade now, and they've gotten close, but they've never mm-hmm. gone back to the Super Bowl since 2010. It's time to try another approach to try to maximize the window you have left with Aaron Rodgers. And it doesn't have to be all Aaron all the time. Yeah. And I don't think that the passing attack is going to be feeble. And I don't think we're going to be a run first team. I think we're still going to be a pass first team. If you look at, I, I, I will say at the end of the 2022 season, when we were looking back over uh, passing attempts versus running attempts, there's still going to be more passing attempts than running Absolutely. attempts. But, but you make a good point about it's not passing game or bust because the defense can win you games. The run game can win you games. And they, both of those are going to be less likely to have these just garbage days where they don't show up. And it's the only thing that is working is the passing game. And, Let's rewind the clock a little bit. Let's look at the progression of 2019, 2020, 21. Let's look at how those seasons ended in the playoffs and and their the the overall themes that you had big problems with 2019. By the way, let's let's relive who we had on the offensive line in 2019. You had David Bakhtiari at left tackle, Elton Jenkins at left guard, Corey Lindsley at center, Billy Turner at right guard. Brian Balaga at right tackle. That sounds like a pretty darn good offensive line to me. Yeah, yeah. Didn't matter. In that game, the offensive line couldn't keep Aaron clean against the uh, San Francisco front seven. And then our front seven could not do anything to stop the run. We forget about that. You know, and, and you look at then the evolution in 2020. Was it really any different? No, the offensive line couldn't keep Aaron clean and... Are there excuses? Yes, we did not have our our left tackle. That is true. That is game changing. I think it's the number one reason why we lost that game. But also our front seven couldn't do anything to stop the Buccaneers. They weren't getting any pressure on Tom Brady. You had, um, uh, I think, Kenny Clark, if I remember correctly, had a sack. And then Preston and Zadarius combined those two guys across not just the 2020 NFC championship game, but also the 2019 NFC championship game. Those two guys in two years combined for two pressures. They're averaging half a pressure each in an NFC championship game. Um, The rest of the D line couldn't get anything done in either of those two games. The linebackers. Oh my goodness. We had just atrocious linebacker play. I don't need to, you know, at all look at, bring up for you what uh, Raheem Mostert did on the grounds, breaking all kinds of world records, running all over the Packers defense. You have to fix the trenches. I think the linebacker play is going to be a huge deal. Not only are you going to have a much better defensive line, stopping the run, getting pressure on the quarterback, 
But then the backup to that defensive line is going to be two really, really quality linebackers working in tandem. Excellent tacklers, really um, cerebral linebackers. And by the way, Joe Barry's defense is predicated on every guy just worrying about himself and not trying to cover for the teammates. This is this is the philosophy philosophy of his defense. Devondre Campbell has praised that to no end. Mm-hmm. Says, the Packers just let me be a linebacker. They let me just be a typical Mike linebacker. I don't have to go out there and be in coverage all the freaking time. I can just worry about myself and my own responsibilities without having to try and hang back and cover it for everybody else. And it worked really well in 2021. And, and, and then go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I think the other thing you want to look at is the teams that beat the Packers in the NFC playoffs the last three years, yeah. San Francisco, Tampa Bay, and then San Francisco, San Francisco. again. Yeah. One of the things that those three teams, 2019 San Francisco, 2021 San Francisco, 2020 Tampa Bay, had in common active linebackers that the Packers didn't Rangy, have an answer side, for. Line to sideline, fast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and strong front sevens on the defense. But the Packers didn't have an answer for all three of those teams. Yeah. And the Packers have addressed and, and listen, I get it. Wide receiver matters. It does. I get it. But the Packers drafted three wide receivers this year. They drafted three offensive linemen. They invested in linebacker and defensive tackle. These they're going to be OK. You're going to have the Packers defense has no excuse whatsoever for not being a top three defense. And I think top one is wholly realistic with the talent we have on this, on this defense, even with some bad injury luck. I think that you, there there's enough depth at most positions. I think a lot would have to go really wrong for you to be in a position where you would say compared to the rest of the NFC, we don't really have the bodies that the, that the, uh, uh, um, that the uh, opposition has and the passing attack is going to be okay. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are fantastic receivers. We've got good enough guys to get the job done elsewhere across the wide receiver and tight end room. I would like to add a tight end. I think I'd I'd like to take some time in the maybe next week's episode or or a, a week or two from now and really dive into the tight end thing, because I think there's a lot there to talk about. But they're going to be okay. This defense, we saw what it could be in that playoff game. And the offensive line and and uh, Aaron Rodgers just couldn't get it done. And I don't think that Gutekunst and Joe Barry looked at what happened in that playoff game and felt like, you know what? We can, we can probably coast by with, you know, just the guys that we have and losing Zadarius and um, uh, losing uh, Chandon Sullivan. I, you know what? what and, and losing Whitney Merciless will we'll be okay. No, they looked at that and they said, that's the standard. We want to do that all year long. Let's make sure we have the tools in place to repeat that performance 17 games plus the playoffs next year. That, that was the standard. That's the goal. That's what they're shooting for. That's how the 2015 Broncos won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think people are always saying, you know, 
this team has come so close, but they can't win the big one. So they're trying a different approach in order to get over that hump. And, you know, the, the definition of insanity famously is doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting a different result. Well, they're not doing the same thing over and over again. And I give credit, whether it works or not, I give credit to the Packers front office for at least trying to, to do it differently to get that different result. Before we wrap up, you and I were, <laughs> we talked a little bit before we started recording and it was starting to get heated. We weren't arguing with each other. We were both getting heated about the same topic together. And I said, Gil, we got we to gotta press record. We'll do our episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this on the show because it's a good topic. There has been sort of this swelling of um, complaining and criticism, not from fans, not even from the national media, I don't think, about the Packers draft class, but from the Packers local media. And I'll just name drop just the the guy that everybody's talking the most about, and I'll, I'll let everybody else kind of sit in anonymity just to be nice, but... Bob McGinn is kind of the forefront of this. And there's a couple of people who are uh, really holding his uh, article that came out two days ago as like the gold standard of like, here's why we are right when we are throwing a temper tantrum about the Packers draft class this year. They're so, so angry about the first round picks that they weren't wide receivers that they didn't try and move up and take Chris Olave or whoever. Um, and by the way, uh, we should look at what the saints gave up to get Chris Olave. Did you see that? Did you, did you Warren Sharp put together a full list of all of the, um, all of the picks and players that is that his name? Warren Sharp. Why is this not come up when I Google my search? Oh, it's because I put an E at the end of the chart. Okay, here we go. That'll do it. <laughs> All right. Warren Sharp with no E. <laughs> By the way, Sharp Football is a fantastic resource. I love their website. Um, so he tracked what all the pack the, the Saints gave up to go get uh, Chris Olave, Trevor Penning, and uh, defensive tackle Jordan Jackson in what? The sixth round? Sixth mm-hmm. round. Okay. They gave up the the, <laughs> the compensation the Saints gave up to other teams was then spent on in 22, 2022, AJ Brown, Jahan Dotson, Brian Robinson, running back quarterback, Sam Howell, tight end Cole Turner, linebacker, Kyron Johnson. And we still have a 2023 first round pick and 2024 second round pick that have not been spent yet. Right. They gave up all that to just get Chris Olave, Trevor Penning, and a sixth round defensive tackle. If you're if you're upset the Packers didn't take Chris Olave, just be more um, upset on behalf of Saints fans at what um, uh, Mickey, what is his name, Loomis or something, gave up for for these two guys. But we were talking about. Um, so they're they're upset about who the Packers took. They're upset that the Packers gave, uh, let Devontae Adams go as though they had a choice in retaining the guy who was saying, I am not going to freaking play here in Green Bay anymore. Right. And here, the, 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 the thing that they're upset about is they're saying, so you gave up Devontae Adams and you replaced him with 
Quay Walker and half of Christian Watson because you traded away your second, your other second round pick to get uh, Christian Watson. That is mind-numbingly narrow-minded. That is not how football works. First of all, who all were able to retain just in 2022 because we weren't paying Devontae Adams, Gil? Well, let's start with Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas and Robert Tunyon. Let's start there uh, because they took the 15, 16 million dollars that yeah. that uh, Adams was going to count against the cap and put uh, it on, to, on his on his franchise tag by on the way, franchise not, not tag. On the that's what yeah. came off the books when he was traded. Yep. So you freed up sixteen million dollars plus you get the two draft picks. So even if you you, you want to argue, you know that they had to move up and trade their second round pick that they already had in order to move up. And we're just getting started, by the way. Yeah, we're just getting started. Uh, you know, it there, there is that is a very narrow way to look at what we're talking about as far as what they gave up. Uh, and it, it doesn't really tell the whole story. So here, here's what else we have. So you got your like 16-ish million that you freed up by getting Devante's, uh uh franchise tag off the books. Okay, that's fantastic. But if you had been able to work out a deal with him, looking at how the Packers structure their contracts, and we just take the amount of money that the Raiders gave him across how many years, the Packers would have had a 2022 cap hit under their normal contract structuring of about 6 to $7 million in 2022. Okay, that gives you a player or two. Probably, um, probably you're looking at moving on from Devondre Campbell in that in that case, or maybe just Rasul Douglas and Robert Tunyon combined, those two guys. But then in 2023, that jumps up to $30 million. And then it's $30 million a year for the next several years. Who are we keeping next year and the year after that and the year after that because we're not paying $30 million out to Devontae Adams? You have to include that in this conversation you have to or you're not being intellectually honest also let's talk about the idea that you gave away Devonte adams and a second round pick for quay walker and christian watson <laughs> false <laughs> first of all the first rounder that you got for Devonte adams was not quay walker it was Devonte wyatt because had both of those guys been available at pick 28 we know they would have taken Quay Walker. Why? Because Brian Gutekinds already said, when I took Quay Walker at 2022, I did so with the understanding that I was probably not going to get Devontae Wyatt at 28. Okay. Um, then you look at, well, they, they wanted Christian Watson in the first round. So they were still going to go ahead and try and trade up anyways. Only now, if they still have... Devonte Adams here, and they're going to try and trade up and get Christian Watson, who I think they still would have tried to get, even right. if they had Devonte Adams on the roster. I think they're still going to do that. They have to give up way more than just a second round pick uh, plus this second that they don't have. They're they're giving up um, a second rounder plus other picks that they do have in that scenario. So you're saying goodbye to Sean Ryan in round three. 
you're probably also saying goodbye to Romeo Dobbs or Zach Tom in pick four. And, and since it's the Vikings that you're trading with, they're probably not going to accept your second fourth round pick. They're probably going to, to demand at least your first fourth round pick. And then maybe more compensation after that, by the way. So you're looking at a butterfly effect of if you have to take Christian Watson, who was uh, maybe not a consensus first round pick, but but borderline, he was he was in a lot of first round mocks, uh, frequently mocked to the Packers. In fact, at pick 28, sometimes even at, at pick 22, I saw a few times. You're looking at this chain reaction, this butterfly effect of all these players that we don't end up with. And we know from what Brian Gutekunst was was saying uh, after the second night of the draft that he really wanted more of those seventh round picks to, to pick up some of those bottom guys. I think he still is in a position where he is doing some trading back in some of those middle rounds. You probably are not walking away from this draft class with 11 players or even just nine because we're removing the two picks we got for Devontae. You're probably not walking out of here with nine picks. You're probably walking out of here with six or seven picks. And a couple of those are going to be later than they were because you had to trade back or, or, or because um, because Gutekun said he wanted to be trading back and he didn't have those earlier picks that in reality he spent on some of these players like uh, Kingsley and Agbar and Zach Tom. Not to mention that the needs would have been different. So the picks would have been different. And with fewer picks available, the priorities change. Everything about it would have been significantly different. And, you know, you talked about who who's going to be gone next year as a result. Well, you're looking to re-sign Adrian Amos, possibly. Aaron Jones's cap hit goes way up next year. They may have to renegotiate that. There are a lot of things on the table that, you know, the money that was freed up by moving on from Devontae Adams and trading him allowed them to do. So, uh, yeah, just just to say you're talking about those two picks is very, very short sighted. Yeah, absolutely. So we just wanted to address that. I, I have a little message to the uh, to the media members who, of course, are not going to be sticking around to the end of my little podcast if they even ever turned down in the first place. Go cover a different team because you're you're miserable. Go cover a team that is more fun to you. Go cover the Rams or the Cowboys who do all these flashy, silly moves that you love. Go do that because you are just you're wearing your misery on your sleeve. It's bringing me down just how depressed you are about your own job. Go do something. This is not for my benefit. It's for your benefit. Go chase your dreams. Go cover a fun team because the Packers for you are not a fun team. And we can see that you hate your job. Just That's just my two cents. All right. Let's wrap it up and get out of here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers, at JJ Leahy. To stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions, you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show. And thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not